In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the second Sunday of the Blessed Month of Tut, and as we mentioned last week, that during this month, in the first quarter of the year, um, the Lord, or first half of the year actually, um, the Lord, or the Church arranges for us the readings to speak about the love of God. And we know that God the Father loved us by sending His Son, for God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. Just as the Father loved us by sending the Son, the Son also demonstrates His love for us by sending His disciples into the world. And this passage that we read today comes from Luke chapter 10. So in context, He sent the 70, and the 70 had just returned from uh, the sharing of the Gospel. Um, And then they returned, and they were happy. He told them, go and preach and cast out demons, heal the sick. And they did so, and they came back, and they were rejoicing because the demons were subject to them. Then the Lord told them, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And just as the Lord is rejoicing with his disciples, a lawyer came up, uh, and the lawyer are those who are like um, who are, are good at the Mosaic law, but they weren't formally trained like the Pharisees. Um, so they came to him, and one asked him and said, "What, uh, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So he asked, asked a good question. And then the Lord responded to him and says, Okay, what do you know in the law and what's your reading of it? What do you know? And then the lawyer told him, Well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. This was actually correct. It was the summation of the whole Bible, or the whole scripture. The Lord said to him that after this, he says, you have, right, you have answered rightly, do this and you will live. I want to focus a little bit about this last part. Do this and you will live. What is the life that the Lord is referring to here? When he says, do this and you will live. Is he referring here to a physical life? Certainly not, because the, the lawyer was alive and well and speaking with him, right? So he's not referring to physical life. Do this, whatever this is, and you will have physical life because he's already alive. Is the Lord telling him, if you do this, you will continue to exist for eternity? So if you do what I'm telling you, or what you have suggested, and you keep doing this, then you'll never die. Is this what he's referring to? No, not referring, he's not referring to that either. Because when God created man, he created man to be eternal. So God has no beginning and no end. Man has a beginning, but has no end. Our souls will be eternal. Um, if we jog your memory back to uh, the creation in the book of Genesis, after God had created man, it says, God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. <clears throat> this is only one of the animals or only one of God's creation that God breathed this life. And this was the grace of the Holy Spirit. The grace of God was given uh, to man to be a living and reasoning soul. Different from the animals. Different from the plants. Are the animals alive in the sense that they're moving and feeling and touching? Yes. But are they alive like we are alive? With a living and reasoning soul and an eternal soul? created in the image and likeness of God. Very different. So this is the breath that God gave us, this breath of eternity, the soul to be eternal. And 
We also hear the same thing in the New Testament when the Lord was speaking about um, uh, um, He was speaking about the resurrection. He says in John chapter 5, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear His voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So He says whether you believe in Him whether you've done righteousness or whether you've done wickedness, whether you follow him or not, at the end, everybody will rise. And he gives two options. The good will rise to those who have done good will rise to the resurrection of life. Right? Of life. And the other, they'll also rise but to the resurrection of condemnation. Notice here he doesn't say the resurrection of the dead. But he says resurrection of condemnation. So, Sometimes we believe that those who do good will simply live forever in heaven. And those who do evil, those who weren't very good, just simply cease to exist. But this is untrue as well. Based on what Christ is teaching us and based on other many passages in Scripture, those who, um, who do not do well or do evil will uh, raise to the resurrection of con- uh, condemnation, which would be this eternal state of dying, decay, and distortion. So it's this perpetual dying. And the book of Revelation speaks about those at this time, they desire death and death will flee from them. So there is a resurrection for everyone, whether we agree or disagree or like it or not. Because God created us to have this eternal uh, soul. The other thing we can ask or we can say is that to live is Christ. To live is Christ. What does it mean here that we shall live? It means to be in Christ. Look what St. Paul says. He says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ. St. Paul considered the life that he lived prior to knowing the Lord Jesus was death. And then the death that he lived after he knew Christ was life to him. I'll explain it by quoting from him a passage from Philippians chapter 3. He says, But all things were gained to me, but what things were gained to me, these I have considered lost for Christ. So the things that I considered as gained for me prior to knowing Christ, after I knew him, I considered them as lost, as death. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And what do you consider the loss of all things? He says, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. So everything that was in the past that he had, he considered as rubbish. And once he's gained life, this is his new life. And what do I mean by the death that he lived was life to him? St. Paul lived you know, in persecution. After he became a Christian, he became persecuted very much. He was, you know, uh, captured many times, was in prison, was shipwrecked, was beaten, all of these things. And he says and he describes that these are the things I boast of. When I boast in my infirmity, then Christ is made, you know, is glorified. So his death, his continual dying every day, the suffering that he suffered for the name of Christ, was the source of his life and his boasting. So to live is Christ. And this idea of returning to God and uh, and living in Him is 
also portrayed in the example of the lost son or the prodigal son. When this lost son left his father's house, did he die physically? He didn't die. He was still alive because he came back to his father. When he came back and he, his father saw him coming to him and he went and embraced him with you know this extreme longing and kissed him, he said of his son that he was dead and is alive again. But did he really physically die? No, he didn't. But what was his death? His death was his estrangement from his father. Being lost away from the presence of his father in his father's house. And this is ultimately what God did. He created us in his image and likeness to have this intimate communion with him. And when he sent into the, into the world, and we took of this sin, this separated this union and this unity and communion with God. And he desired to restore it again. And he did so by sending the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he says in the passage of the Good Shepherd, he says, I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. Okay, but the disciples are living. Everybody he's speaking to is, is living. But what's this life more abundantly? It's this re-communing with him once again. Restoring that which was lost in uh, the garden. What does it mean to know Christ? Okay, He came and he loved us and we love him. But what does it mean to know him? In the same passage about the good shepherd, he says, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by them. The knowledge here, and then he also says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. This knowledge of the shepherd to the sheep and the sheep to the shepherd, is this an intellectual knowledge or is this an experiential knowledge? Let me give you an example. How many of us have uh, read Shakespeare? Reluctant thing, right? <laughs> read Shakespeare, right? When I read the text of Shakespeare, is it the same as knowing the voice of Shakespeare? I may know the mind of Shakespeare by his writings, his style, his habits, perhaps even his thoughts. But if I ever picked up the phone and somebody called me and said, this is Shakespeare, would I be able to identify it? No. So when I hear a voice, this is an experience. It's not an intellectual knowledge. If somebody wrote me a letter and wrote me an email and says, when I have this problem, and I'm going to call you. right? And based on what I read here, and then they call me, I would still have no idea who they are until they say, it's me who wrote you this email or this letter. right? So it's different. An intellectual knowledge of God is one thing, but an intimate relationship with Him, hearing His voice, recognizing His voice, is something completely different. The Lord came to restore our life and to restore this intimate relationship with Him. Listen how St. Athanasius uh, in his book on the Incarnation expresses this. He says, For what use is existence to the creature if it cannot know its maker? How could men be reasonable beings if they had no knowledge of the Word and reason of the Father? The Word here is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom they have received their being. We received our being from the Word from the Logos, from uh, God the Son. And through Him, through the Son, to, the, to apprehend the Father, which knowledge of their Maker is for men 
the only real happy and blessed life. So to know and commune with God is the only source of our true happiness. Everything else that we do in the world to try to gain happiness and joy and satisfaction and, and everything without being in Christ is empty. It's empty. What true happiness is there if it's not to know our Maker? We were created, my beloved, to feel alive only in the presence of God. And I heard, um, uh, you know, many of you actually can maybe have experienced this. Those who have like animals at home, a dog or a cat or whatever, um, you know, when you leave the house, you know, if you have a really emotional dog or something, they get really sad and they might start crying and weeping and making all sorts of sounds when you walk. And maybe nowadays we have these cameras to watch, you know, our pets and so. So you leave the house and the animal is crying and, and all this and you watch them. And they're just laying down on the floor, sad, like very lethargic, lifeless almost, right? And the moment that you come into the door and they see their tail starts wagging and they start jumping on you and licking you and they're so happy and they go back and eat and they play and everything, what happened here? What happened here? They feel alive again in your presence. Were they dead when you left? No. But their fulfillment and their fulfillment was being in your company, being in your presence. As God's creatures, we ought to be the same. Our comfort is and our joy truly is when we're in His presence. And this relationship is very dynamic. And we all know, okay, there are many ways we develop this relationship in prayer and praise and uh, service and so on. But it's very dynamic. I'm not going to just tell you one or two things and that's it, but it's very dynamic. I speak with Him, He responds to me, and the relationship uh, uh, grows. When the uh, Lord said to the man, uh, the lawyer, he said, you have rightly answered, do this and you will live. What is this that he's referring to? What is this thing that we do, that when we do this, we will live? It's only to love. The Lord answered this in response to him by saying, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Right? If you do this, if you love God the Father, if you love the Father, love God and love your neighbor, then you will live uh, forever with him. And yes, perhaps both loving God and loving our neighbor is, is difficult uh, at times, but really it's only through this kind of relationship with God and our brethren that we enjoy true relationship and true joy. Have you ever thought why though it's, you know, it's the virtue of love that he tells him, do this and you will live? Why not faith? Why not humility? You know, why not charity? Why love in particular? Because there's a deep connection between life and love. Life and love. There's a deep connection between the two. If I were to ask you, um, how does God characterize himself? You can say, okay, well, the Lord Jesus Christ described himself in three ways. I am the Life, the way, and the truth, right? So the Lord said to himself that I am life, right? And then he also says to Mary and Martha, I am the resurrection and the life, right? I am the resurrection and the life. So he is life. But then reading the epistles, um, 
uh, of John, he says what? For he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. For God is love, right? So God describes himself as being both love and also life. And as much as we love him, we live. As much as we love him, we live. And this again, St. John elaborates even more. Uh, and he says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. So the lack of love is death. The lack of love is the lack of life. Therefore is the lack is, uh, is death. So this is why he uses, you know, love because in essence this is who God is. And again, we are created in his image and likeness and he wants us to have a share in this life and in this love. So lastly, how do you love your neighbor? There are many ways and I'm going to challenge us maybe this morning by just three things. Number one is try to love without labels. Love without labeling people. Actually, in this same passage, in the response to this lawyer, the Lord actually continued to continue. He responded to him by telling the story of the Good Samaritan. We all know the story. The man, the Samaritan who was beat, or the man who was beaten, and then the uh, Levi goes and sees him half dead and passes by, and the priest comes, sees him half dead and passes by, and then the Samaritan comes and takes care of him, takes him to the end until he's better. Right? We all know this story. But why did the priests and the Levite pass this man by? Why did they pass him by? Because they labeled him. Whatever the label might be. Right? He's wasting my time. He's, he's, he's really okay. He's just faking it. Um, I don't know him. He might have some disease. Whatever the label is, he labeled it and they passed him by. But why did the Samaritan stop? Because he saw him for what he was. He didn't label him. He didn't come to any conclusion. There was no prejudice there. He saw a man in need and he went and helped him. So he loved without the label. My beloved, we, it's, it's very difficult for us to look at our brethren and what, without labeling them. And what are the types of labels that we label other people with? We might label someone and say he's unworthy. They've exhausted all their merits of mercy from me or all their goodness of mercy from me. You know, and if we say, okay, the Lord said, you know, forgive someone 70 times 7, and I think this person did that in one day. I can't stand them. So he's unworthy. We label them as being unworthy. We might label someone as being selfish. And if they're selfish, then I don't want to add to this selfishness. We might label someone as being different. I can't approach them. I can't love them because they're different. We might even label someone as an enemy. And because they're an enemy, I can't, I can't have it. They hate me, so I hate them in return. I might label someone as being a hypocrite. I don't want anything to do with a hypocrite. Many labels we have. And you can continue maybe many more in your mind. But I challenge us this morning and maybe this week to try to love without labeling anyone. Love your friends at school. Love your brothers and sisters here in the church without a label. And if you think about, you know what, Abuna, I put labels on many people. Try dealing with them without labels. Do you know one of the worst things that we do to harm ourselves 
and labeling people is social media. Let me explain to you. If there was somebody <clears throat> on social media, and I'm, I'm not on social media, but suppose I am, and I hear that this new person in town, you know, did so and so, and, you know, they post something bad about me, uh, online. And I'm on social media, and I see this, and I get angry at them, and when I come to the church and I see them, how's my greeting for them? You know? I'm gonna give them a cold shoulder, I'm gonna give them a look up and down, that's the beginning, right? The animosity has already started. But let's suppose I wasn't on social media, right? And this person said something bad about me online, right? Do I know? I have no idea, right? And when they come to church and they see me, I greet them with a smile. I welcome them to the Sunday school class or I welcome them to this group of people, introduce them to the people in the church, and I greet them with a smile. Which one of the two scenarios has a better outcome, potential better outcome? First or the second? The second. The second. So sometimes our ignorance of the labels that other people put on others is better. But social media potentiates that. I start taking the labels from other people and applying them to others. So before I even meet somebody, they got five labels on their, on their head. Try to love without labels. Number two is try to love with hope. Try to love with hope. You know, in the last week of the Lord Jesus, his last ditch effort to try to get the Pharisees to repent were the woes. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, and so on. As his last effort to get them to repent, the only people he couldn't get to repent were these people. And ultimately, they are the ones who conspired and had him crucified. And as he's hanging on the cross, the high priest comes to him and says, if you are the Son of God, come down. And they mock him. And in response, the Lord says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And why does he forgive them? Because from his end, from God's end, I'm going to forgive them with the hope that maybe one day they will repent. So he, he loved them with hope. One day they'll repent. Sometimes we don't love with hope. Sometimes, you know, we have this idea, okay, there's no hope for this person and I can't have any kind of, you know, dealing with this person. Yes, I'm not saying there shouldn't be some boundaries when people cross them. Yes, we have these boundaries. But can I still love with hope? Can I still put in my mind, you know what? Everybody can change. Even the most wretched, even the most any, any hard-headed person can change. Anybody can change. Can I love with this kind of hope? Again, in the story of the lost son, when the son insisted on taking his father's inheritance, he left. Did the father lose hope? He certainly gave him this money reluctantly. But hoping what? That he would return again. And this is evident when he returned, he was outside waiting for him. Right? So he loved his son. Although he disobeyed him, he loved him with hope. That perhaps one day he will return. And when he returns, I'm waiting for him. Love with hope. Number three is love when you are not loved. And this maybe is the one that's the most challenging. St. Paul was preaching to the Corinthian church and they were accusing him of not being an authentic apostle. So in return, St. Paul says, I'm not going to take anything from the church. No monetary uh, resources at all from the church. But I'm going to work as a tent maker and use the money I get from my work to minister 
to the church of Corinth. And he took money from the, the, the church of Philippi and he also, you know, helped the church of Corinth. All of this so he doesn't burden them and they accuse him of using the resources. While there are people who are taking advantage of the church and using their resources for their own personal gain. Right? But St. Paul says, I'm not going to do this. Now listen to what St. Paul says. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. I will spend my resources and spend of my energy and effort and life for the sake of your salvation, for your souls. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. This is difficult. The more abundantly that I love you, the less that I am loved. Think about this. The people whom you serve, whom you labor for, and you love dearly, the more you love them, the less you feel loved. I can't think of, you know, anything similar except sometimes parents with children. And children, you know, um, disrespect their parents and say maybe names that they shouldn't be saying to them. You know, this is the only, you know, thing that's even remotely close. We're okay, well, I'm laboring for this child to do my best for them and to provide for them. In the end, this is what I get. The more I love, the less I am loved. To be able to love everyone in this manner can only be nourished with an intimate relationship with God. Because it's not natural. It's not natural. It's a supernatural kind of love. But really this is what it means to be alive. When we can love like this, then we can live like Him. When we can love in a way without labels, when we can love in a way with hope, and we can love even those who do not love us, then we can love like the Lord our love. May God grant us to evaluate our life and to be able to um, recognize perhaps the points that we need to change and to offer love to all so we may live in Him. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen.